Welcome to Working Class Conversations, the podcast dedicated to the working class experience. Hello and welcome back to Working Class Conversations. My name is Christina. I'm Tony. I'm Cherry. And we're here today to talk about the working class in generally the media, but more specifically sitcoms. And that's because I have the on the buzzies uber fan Cherry with me. <laughs> Cherry is a, is a big fan and uh, we sort of agreed that on the buzzies is a great British working class sitcom. So we might rely heavily on that, but we're not excluding all the other working class sitcoms, which we shall definitely refer to. So, um, obviously, we, uh, I'm going to ask the usual question. Um, we've met Tony before from my first episode, so we know what his definition of working class is. So I'm just going to ask Cherry, uh, what's your understanding of what the working class is? And do you feel that you fit into that? Well, I've always understood the working class to mean your level of education. So working class, class people have to do the unskilled labour because they don't have the education to do the better paid jobs. So, you know, not all the dustbin men and all the um, bakers and, and whatnot are going to be uneducated, but that's my broad understanding of it. But I think you could be from a specific area and you may have climbed a little bit through apprenticeship, perhaps. Like my parents, my mum was a housewife and my father was an electrical engineer but he was from a working class family um, and he had done an apprenticeship to become an engineer so he's then he I don't think he can ever, ever be not working class because he's become an engineer um, the same as myself I, I haven't got any qualifications above A level um, I'm doing a degree at the moment when I've completed my degree am I not going to be working class anymore no I'm always going to be working class because I'm from a working class family so although I believe it's got something to do with education I don't believe you can ever not be working class although will my daughter be working class if if I get my degree and you know her father's got a degree and she goes and gets a degree she probably won't have her roots in working class life, if, if you know what I mean. One of the things that struck me in recent years, because I've got a degree through the Open University, yeah, and I have to say I don't think it's enhanced my economics or my job prospects very much. Maybe I'm not looking in the right places, but the degrees now so prevalent in society, I think... Somewhere, this might be inaccurate, but it's about 50% of school graduates go on and get a degree. Mm -hmm. Whether that's a real indicator of social class anymore. Well, that was the Labour Party, wasn't it, in the 90s? They made it so anyone could go to university. And I think universities started inventing degrees mm -hmm. so that you know they could get as many students through the door as they could. I On a night out a couple of years ago, somebody told me that they were doing a degree in estate agency or something and I was like what the do you honestly need to have a degree to be an estate agent no offense to any estate agents out there it just struck me that before yeah degrees were probably quite prestigious and um it would be an indicator of you know you're an intelligent person or you were from a good family almost 
to have got into university, but now it's definitely not the case, I don't think. In light of that, with talking about sitcoms, do you think that the sitcom representation of the working class person is always based on their educational level? Is the working class man always a bit thick? Yes, I would say that. In sitcoms, yes, but on the bus is an example of where there's a character who is obviously intelligent because all the schemes and all the jokes and all the plotting, if you like, comes from Jack, who is um, a conductor. And so he has an intelligence. He's not a stupid person. But these, the, <coughs> on the buses in particular, was made pre the liberalisation of degree level qualification, degree level education. Yeah. In the era that... We're talking the 60s. Uh, on the Buzzies, so. on the Buzzies, I just realised, I completely forgot to mention. On the Buzzies is a 1970s um, or late 1960s, isn't it? Too? I think the first series was 69 and then the rest were in the 70s. Um, British sitcom um, about um, two friends who were a bus driver and a bus conductor and their uh, Stan, the bus driver's family. And Jack was the bus conductor, and it and the whole sitcom and about is it three films revolved around them and their comedic adventures in just trying to survive life. Yeah, their battles say. with their but, um, yeah. inspector. <laughs> yeah, but in British culture at that time, they were unlikely to be going on to university degrees anyway. Mm. Very unlikely, probably. Yeah, I think there was a, a very big divide, like. In on the buses, there are several jokes about the management. Mm -hmm. The management, you very rarely see them actually. Occasionally, you'll see the manager of the depot, um, but it will always be a kind of lofty person who there's such a big separation between the, even the Inspector Blakey and um, the bus crews from the management, and presumably they would be. The management of a bus depot that would be a, work, a middle class person were these uh, in on the buses were the people who you saw in more managerial roles Blake the inspector and the depot manager were they the working class people who'd work their way up to that point well I think Blakey is working class mm. I don't think Blakey he's a social climber but he's working class He's, he's a working class man. In one of the episodes, it actually shows you how he became the inspector and he was a bus driver. Mm. Or was he a conductor? No, he was a bus driver and he was promoted to inspector. And I think Blakey is one of these people who dislikes the working class, if you like. He sees himself as risen above it. Yeah, even though he hasn't really... Yeah. He He's will. always portrayed uh, by the upper management as still somebody. Definitely, they down. still speak down to him and boss him around, and he's not on their level in any way. They don't seem to respect him. Um, you know, he's he's just there in this no man's land between the management and the bus crews, if you like. Because they don't like him because he's risen above and he's like too good for them now. He's no longer one of them. He's yeah upper management whereas he all he 
basically trying to do is make sure the buses go out on time. Which as a working class person that regularly uses the buses, <laughs> I'm on Blakey's side. <laughs> yeah. One of my favourite episodes of On the Buzzies, although I haven't seen absolutely every single one of them, is the one where they get caught in the fog. Oh, and I love terrible that fog. one. And Foggy they, night, that's cool. Yeah. They can't get through, and um, so they're just stuck there with the passengers on the bus. And by fluke, Stan's mum and sister are stuck on the bus as well. And uh, poor Blakey, he has his sandwiches stolen by them. Yeah. He's, they they open his lunchbox, these crisps. He, he ends up trying to get them out through, get the bus through to back to the depot, and he falls in mud and he's covered in it. He's really just sort of the, the person who's genuinely trying to do a good job, an important job well, and uh, just better his life. And he's the butt, and it's because he's not meant to transgress and go out of the working class and try and improve his chances and it's such a shame really because I think most working class people or as evidenced by you getting your degree and me finishing mine a few years ago is that you want to better yourself you want to improve your chances for yourself and for your family you want to improve your economic chances and your social chances Mm. and it, it was just interesting from my point of view how funny it is but how it's such a shame for him for Blakey, I for often Blakey. do feel sorry for Blakey. He's he's probably my second favourite character in the whole thing, other than Arthur, who is my absolute favourite, because he is the same as Blakey. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what I uh, identify with, because mm-hmm. he is definitely a social climber. Mm-hmm. That's Olive's husband, who is the main character, Stan, his sister. So he lives with his sister and her husband, mm-hmm. and he... He works as a booking clerk for um, British Rail, mm-hmm. and he's very much, you know, snooty if you like. See, he, he, he pretends that he was going to be a doctor, but apparently he was just a, a porter in in a hospital, mm-hmm. and that's his, you know, how he lies, tells people that he was going to be a doctor, but he never was. I think the one of the best episodes where. I was struck by the comedic genius of it. it was the episode where they had the flashback of how Arthur and Olive met. Yeah. And um, that he, you know, by his own stuck-upness and his own sort of superiority and sense of importance, lumbered him with Olive, whereas um, they're just not an ideal match, which is where a lot of the comedy comes from. So yeah, definitely. But... All his ambitions, whether they were going to be realised or not, are scuppered the moment he has to marry Olive. And Olive is a great comedic character, but she is this vision of a working class woman. Mm, definitely. That um, isn't really an accurate one. How would you describe Olive for anyone who's never, you know, sort of, what's your vision of Olive? Well, she's, she's definitely portrayed as somebody with a lack of intelligence. She's she's stupid she you know she makes a lot of errors and is always confused she can't cook she can't um make herself look glamorous you know she's she's like a child almost she's very downtrodden by her husband who basically can't stand her (laughs) and he's horrible to her um she was never going to be go to university she was never she can't even get a job the one of the running jokes is that she can't hold down a job there's a few occasions where she 
does get jobs like she goes to work in the canteen at the bus depot and she can't even get the lunches out and Stan ends up having to go and buy fish and chips from the chippy to give to all the bus critters and they lose money in the canteen um, and then I think there's another episode where it's one of the very early episodes where she is a bus conductress but she can't add up the money and all the ticket tickets start coming out of the machine and her mom has to help her and then the bus fumes make her sick and she, you know in the end Stan has to pretend that she's pregnant to get get himself out of trouble because he had recommended her sort of thing so she can't hold down the job she got she is basically a wife and several times Arthur says that his wife shouldn't work that's almost um looks bad on him mm-hmm. if a man's wife has to work something's not right with him almost so that's interesting I don't know whether that back in the 60s was the case that men didn't like their women to work well in the 70s that was a great time of social change between men and women it was in the 70s that women finally got the right to have their own bank accounts without permission of a man in their life and I think a lot of people don't realise that it was in the mid 70s that you know if you were a single woman and you got a perfectly well-paid job whether it's in a factory or your secretary or whatever you had to have a permission from like your father or something your husband to have you to get like a loan out for a car or to be able to get something on tick as will be it's outrageous it is, you can't believe it you know that's basically when my mom was having my older sister at that point in the 70s so uh, that makes sense to me that it was a clash of times of how people were seen with each other and what always struck me about Ollie is it you know looking outside of how, how funny it is I mean the reason she's that way is because you can't have a sitcom without humour and you need to have somebody that makes a mess of things but Olive is entirely the way she is because that's what's expected of her. Her mum thinks she's useless and completely babies her. Mm. She's still a little girl and doesn't let so she's never taught her daughter how to cook. My little Olive, that's what she calls it. My little Olive and you know, Olive can do no wrong and poor Stan has to constantly bail them out and it holds his life back because he's constantly supporting his mum and his sister even though she's married to Arthur. But Olive's never given the opportunity to shine in any way um, because she's never been raised up with any expectation of doing anything other than getting married and then the first man that she manages to get a clause in Arthur she holds tight to him Mm. and um, and in a way that just makes me feel sad in that if Olive had um, been given the opportunity that yes she is a good cook that she can do these things that she isn't a a mess she can uh, go on and do well but you wouldn't have the sitcom if that was the case. I'm not sure that there would there would be any scenario where Olive would make a success of her mm. life. That's almost how rubbish yeah. she is as a you know, as a character. They've they've made her like that. So even when she has an opportunity to um shine, she makes a mess of it. So there's an episode where they Arthur and Olive having marriage problems and they see a marriage counsellor although Arthur doesn't turn up and the marriage counsellor says what to do make yourself look glamorous make surprising with your puddings I think he says <laughs> and so they dress her up but you know she puts lipstick up her nose and you know she she just makes a complete mess of it and she ends up I think kissing 
the inspector. <laughs> so it all works out because Arthur gets jealous. and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But she just... She makes a mess of everything. It, like when they're tiling the bathroom in another episode. Mm. Stan says, pass me the tiles. And she manages to get them all stuck together. So, you know, so... Mm she's ruined the whole DIY project she just absolutely everything she does she just messes up she sews herself a dress and it's an absolute mess <laughs> and, you know I'm not sure if she had had different parents if she had been middle class if she had been an aristocrat's daughter I think Olive would have been <laughs> she'd have been fine yes, because yes. she wouldn't have expected to do any of the things that Olive True. expected to do she wouldn't have been True. expected to get a job or to know how to help someone you're middle class you pay someone to do the tiling in your bathroom you don't do it yourself yeah so yeah it was a shame for her that she was born into a working class family because <laughs> it was you know a lot was expected of her but she just couldn't do any of it but I like her as a character but it is annoying because you just want her to kind of pull her socks up and be a bit more apart from the mother there's no other regular female characters is there um, no the only two female, well, from what I've watched, two female characters that are well rounded are the mother and Olive, and all the other girls are what well, I think of as dolly birds. That they've mm. got big boobs, are very very attractive, and they're doing what made sense at the time. And I think even actually today in two thousand and nineteen, which is you make the most of your good looks to secure your future. And at that time, it was getting married. Yeah, the, there's a lot of comments about. A woman trying to find a husband, or mm. um, I, I don't know. They they are very much portrayed as, and you know, something just to get your hands on, or mm-hmm. the prize. Yeah, because Stan is always trying to find himself a girl. He's always trying, and to be fair to him, he's always trying to settle down. He wants to get married and have his own relationship in his own family. He wants to escape the situation of his family which is resonant with Only Fools and Horses and Del Boy who mm. really wants to have a happy family and escape Grandad and Rodney. Yeah, it's the same as an Open All Hours. Granville just wants to escape that life mm. in a shop mm. but he's always, you know, when he meets a girl, mm-hmm. Arkwright always scuppers it, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that seems to be a recurring theme in some of these shows, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. People wanting to escape their families or you know what's expected of them I think the whole film Mutiny on the Buses is about Stan trying to leave home isn't it so Mm -hmm. that he can marry Susie yeah but all along the way from you know Arthur loses his job then you know Olive finds out she's pregnant and it's always there holding him back so that he can't move out and get a flat with I think her name's Susie yeah was there, a, <clears throat> was there a strong reliance on family in working class comedies? Well, yeah, because I think working class people, uh, now, today, as well as back then, you lived hand to mouth, didn't you? Mm-hmm. It was like in our house, you, you knew when it was payday because they could go and get the groceries in and you'd have mm-hmm. like shepherd's pie instead of fish fingers that night. Mm-hmm. 
fish fingers, <laughs> the working class food of it's, champions. Yeah. There's a lot of snobbery about what's perceived as working class food, but you know, like um, I could talk about working class food forever. <laughs> we'll do we'll do a separate podcast on working class food because I want to cover lots of different aspects of working class life. But that's just reminded me of how this was somebody done it on Twitter and rightfully called out the class snobbery in it. And there was somebody um, who, let's just call them a middle-class young lad, you know, just never eaten McDonald's before and had written an article about his first ever, like, Big Mac. And it wasn't in a positive, well, this is just a review of junk food. It was, I could just barely keep down each, you know, mouthful of the... Actually, there's nothing wrong, you know, McDonald's was the first sort of treat that we would get as kids. It wasn't a regular treat. It was a rare treat. It was maybe in the summer holidays, you know, okay, I'll take you to McDonald's and get you a Happy Meal or something. I didn't think I went to McDonald's for, until I was about 10, mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah. It wasn't don't really know. a thing, was it, back in the day? Oh, was it in my 20s before mm-hmm. I went to McDonald's? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably a thing now, isn't it? I used to take my son there when he was little. Yeah. The little Get rare treat, yeah. yeah. And it was exciting. I remember them because it wasn't a regular thing. I think it's a lot more regular now because I think it's actually quite hard to feed yourself proper healthy food. It's so much easier to eat, as you say, like the fish fingers than the shepherd's pie when you've not got much money. Yeah. But I think on the buzzy particularly, and again, other working class sitcoms, like, again, on the buzzy, um, on the buzzies and Only Fools and Horses, really accurately portray that you've got everything on tick anything can be changeable you know like on only fools and horses you wouldn't see the same table and chairs two episodes in a row it was like a different sofa picnic table wasn't it yeah it was like clearly this was all stuff that if somebody wanted to buy it, it was sold and i think even with on the buzzies you know i remember was it on one of the films or was it um on an episode where Stan's saying we've got too much stuff on tick, take the washing machine back. Because it was basically the equivalent now in the UK of Bright House stuff where you go and you'd actually pay over the odds um, to get a, it was a necessary... Tallyman. Yeah. The tallyman had come to take the payments out the door. Like. Yeah. But um, sometimes Stan will refer to it as the Never Never mm-hmm. because he says that Arthur and Olive's beds on the Never Never, which was a joke because they mm-hmm. never, never... <laughs> things in the bedroom <laughs> that married couple so but yeah that's in the film on mm. the buses they've they've basically got everything on tick mm-hmm. it's weird when you think about it when I was a kid we never owned a television they were always rented you mm-hmm. always rented your TV yeah TV I think they're on. doing on the buses actually mm. yeah you just you just didn't buy TVs and I knew people who I went to school with who would have a TV where there was a money box on the back we, yeah, we'd well, have to put it into to get the TV. Pay as you go. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's just that that still happens now. It's weird how the times. And yeah, but you'd be paying change. so much more than if you had the money up front. Mm-hmm. And also, in on the buses, they have the Christmas club, mm-hmm. so they pay a little bit uh, throughout the year from their mm-hmm. wages, and then they mm-hmm. get a box at Christmas where they can have like some booze and a Christmas cake. Oh yeah, I remember. And they'd they'd get their Christmas club money, um, because they actually buy a new telly with it. Mm. Um, Although that all goes terribly wrong, obviously. Explains. Yeah. Yeah, So. 
He's done another feature of working class comedy. Any attempt to rise out of the situation you're in, like Stan trying to leave, trying to buy a TV set, every, something happens to put them back to square. I know that's common to sitcoms anyway. You always end up back at square one. Well, you can't have them leaving the working class, can you? So you've got to keep them down somehow. But mm. they did in Only Fools and Horses when they sold that watch and became Yeah, look what happened. Yeah, they lost it yeah. all yeah. because I don't think it worked. No. People loved it and apparently that episode, more like so many millions of people tuned in to watch that because they must have been doing promotions for it so everyone seemed to know what was going to happen because so many people watched that special. But then, what have they got? They mm. Do you end it there? Because then, if, if you have Del Boy and Rodney, who are now millionaires, where's all the comedy going to come from? Because how are they going to be wheeler dealers? And, and so the only option was to have them lose it all. Well, I think this is what I said earlier, but working class comedies tend to be based around a family of some kind. Mm. Whereas middle class was is almost always working places like The Office. Uh, I'm trying to think of another middle class sitcom. Well, let's look at like um, Fresh Fields. That's a really old sitcom, but it's about um, a middle class um, wealthy couple where the husband, I don't know, oh, I can't remember. It's got Anton Lesser and um, the lady who plays Miss Marple on ITV now. Julia McKenzie, I think. Mm. They play a married couple. And I caught the ITV3 in the UK is a font for all old sitcoms. You just go on ITV3 at any point in the day and you're going to watch some classic gem. And so I was flicking over and Freshfields was on. And I thought, oh my God, you know. Because it was the first episode and like the kids have flown the nest. Her husband's like a banker or something or works in the office. He's like a manager earning good money. She's never had to work in her life. And she's going around saying... I want to have a job. I want to have all this kind of stuff, which shocks me now. I don't think it's aged very well. But it was that she didn't need to work. They had a magnificent house. It was a beautiful kitchen that I would love to have today. It was, you know, that white cabinet and everything. And um, she literally had nothing to do with her time. And I think in a middle-class sitcom... Um, the younger women were generally seen as up and coming that they'd have their own career so they'd have the quandary of should I have a baby or not I should you know time is coming against me you know and the implication is once she has the baby her career's over but the older woman in the middle class um, sitcom has never worked and is frustrated about being at home and being unfulfilled and not having potential like in Carla Lane's Butterflies but how funny can that ever be Mm. It's like most fiction, if you like, the magic comes from conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's a romance, um, a monster genre like Jaws, um, Only Fools and Horses, it's all coming from a conflict. What do they want and how can we stop them getting it? And maybe the middle class is just too comfortable to have mm-hmm. enough conflict in it to create... The comedy. I mean, how, how would you place the good life? Is that about working class people? Is that about middle class people? Middle class people, but their conflict is that they haven't got the status symbol of middle class people, which is a career and money. And you're right in that um, I don't know many 
you know, like if we go back to Butterflies, Carla Lane wrote Butterflies, The Liver Girls and Bread. Oh, I used to like Bread. Bread. That's a working class sitcom. Yeah. Very poor, constantly scraping for a living, but very close-knit family, but, you know, having their tensions. But when you think about butterflies, when everybody talks about butterflies and talks about the magic moments in butterflies, they're not comedic moments. They're the moments when the lead, the, the wife, was on the verge of having an affair because she'd fallen in love with another man and this other man had fallen in love with her, but she was going to stay faithful to her family and her vows. Mm. And so she was going to do the morally right thing. Whereas in Bread, the working class sitcom, the father had abandoned the family because he'd fallen in love with another woman, Lilo Lil, <laughs> who was like the seductress I know. sex symbol. And when you actually saw her, she was just a perfectly normal lady that perhaps dyed her hair and took a bit more care over her appearance. Um, and there's that too, so that the middle class sitcom is morally right, whereas the working class sitcom is a bit more fractured and perhaps more real to life. Yeah, this, I mean, you get that a lot in working class comedies where there's actually a lot of crime going on, even though it's petty. I mean, Delboy and Rodney, they're constantly doing things that, you know, skating around that legal line. And there's several episodes where, they, you know, they're hiding from the police or whatever. And then in On the Buses, they steal a ticket machine to mm. run through fares and steal yeah. that money. And they steal paint from the maintenance mm. department. They steal fabric from the maintenance department to upholster Stan's furniture. Yeah. You know, the, there's often little bits of crime in there. Yeah, because it's hard being poor if you don't bend the rules to sort of manipulate But is them. that a true reflection of the working class? No, because I don't really know anybody... You know that actually actively commits those kind of crimes, um, where they actually steal stuff from work, where they actually go into work and steal tins of paint. I remember on on the buses when Olive has a baby. I think this is from one of the films, um, where they make a pram. Oh yeah, they get all the stuff out of the loft, and it, I think it was probably Olive's pram. pram, and they take it to the maintenance department who do it all up for them because they can't afford new stuff. So they make it, and it's a cute little prime because they make it look like a little London buzz with a bell and everything. It's amazing. But it also, all the other blokes at work did it. And wasn't the one where um, Arthur's motorbike, the springs had gone on his motorbike. That's from the film as well. Those two things are from the film. Because he wants to take her to the hospital in the the sidecar. Mm -hmm. But the springs are so dodgy that... Um, it wouldn't be very good for a woman and neighbour. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, they take them down to the depot to get fixed up by the maintenance department. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we've all taken the odd pen from our office and mm-hmm. staplers and... I take mine in. Pads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you <Station> mug. <laughs> well, couldn't make those pens. They're awful. So, yeah, I, I think... I don't know whether that's... Um, Working class people who were the writers writing this stuff. Carolina Hearn, I don't know whether she was working class or not. I think she probably was. Because mm. the royal family is an excellent look at the working classes. But again, you know, when Twiggy, Twiggy comes in um, and it, with his stolen jeans and everything for them to buy. And I think there's an episode where Denise is pregnant and Twiggy says, I'll tell you what I'll do. 
I'll knock off a cot for the baby, that'll be my gift. And they will go, oh, Twiggy, you've got a heart of gold. Mm. You, you see a lot of these, like, crimes almost being committed in, the, in working class, but I'm not sure whether real working class people are like that. No, it's not my experience where people are just like, I'm just going to go and steal that for you. I mean, there's <laughs> lots of um, trading of goods, but that's the, 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 the nature of suddenly needing money, to, mm. whether to get electricity or pay the rent or, or whatever. Of, I, had, I bought this in the good times, please buy it off me. But I think as well, you, you know, before you would have pawn shops, but now you've got lots of shops where you can trade your goods like cash converters and yeah. uh, CEX uh, for like your DVDs and games and stuff where they make a massive loss but you can go in and get ready cash for what you've got when you're in dire straits which happens a lot but no I don't I think criminality um, maybe it depends on who you hang around with um, in your social circles but I wonder as well as um, women we wouldn't know about that but whether blokes because my brother um because my dad wasn't has was around in my childhood but then not like my teenagers so my older brother's a plasterer and uh obviously go in the pub but we'd know people and he'd come you know we'd need something and say right, I'll you know i'll find something i'll find someone to do so he'd always know someone who could fix something in the house or whatever but he'd suddenly come back with something that's clearly secondhand as well how did you get that oh i just got it off a man in the pub yeah, I mean, I remember that from when I was a teenager and I used to go out with a builder and he, he he would, like, bring back this DVD player I bought in the pub. Why was someone out in the pub with a DVD player? You know, mm. it was like he sometimes bought dodgy things back. Yeah, and I think that's that um, men are quite happy to trade things in the pub, in the social arena or, like... Go on, Tony. What's yeah, this is, he, on he's pulling your faces at us. Come on, I'm you, saying you this won't on get audio, But growing up, <laughs> yes, I wouldn't. I knew lots of things in working class communities where, yeah, people would. They weren't always stolen, but sometimes people needed some quick money, and you'd take it down the pub and sell it. It wasn't like you were going down the pub to get drunk and mm. you just have to have a stolen DVD on your arm. It's just that you knew that's where you would find people with money. Yeah. So that definitely happened, but equally, there were instances where suddenly people would have access to things which mm. would normally be more expensive, which clearly been stolen in bulk. Right, mm. falling so, off the back of a lorry time rather than yeah. people selling their own stuff. Yeah, I mean, that definitely happened. Um, well, almost everything, Del Boy buys is hooky isn't it mm. off the back of a lorry yeah um my mum told me a story about her grandmother and um, because my grandmother my mother's mother is from north wales like her her mother's family are from north wales and apparently they lived in a very poor community um and when she was little my grandmother um, Adrian, her name was. She said that the neighbour's carpet was. This man knocked on the door and said, "I'm delivering a carpet for next door, but they're not there. Will you take it in and give it to them?" And um, my mum's grandma said, "So my great grandmother said, yeah, give it here. I'll put it in the hall and I'll give it to them.'" So she took this carpet in, and then a bit later on, the 
neighbour knocked on the door and said, you got my carpet? And they were like, no. And they'd had it fitted. Oh, God. <laughs> they actually fit the carpet and refused to admit that it was their carpet and never oh. gave it back sort of thing. So, yeah, I can see that these things did go on. But I think from all accounts, they were a bit rough that lot. But. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think everybody knows that one family where you avoid them. Yeah, that was my lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. sure I've got ancestors that were the family that were to be avoided. Where And I think, I think that's the interesting thing about the working class character in, I think broadly but specifically in sitcom, where... They will take a lot of liberties in order to make sure there's food on the table, mm. there's clothes on their kids' backs and the heating's on. But they won't really do any terrible transgressions. Like Del Boy would, you know, there's like this idea that he could smell a fiver in a Force 9 gale and he'd sell his own grandmother. But um, he would do anything to make sure they don't end up on the street. But when there's somebody really in trouble, he'll help them out he'll like give them a fiver or buy some food and take it round to them you know if he knows there's a little old lady that's not got any money for a heating it turns out del boy's got a massive heart and that's why everyone loves del boy yeah you know you have to see him and his mother's grave Mm. to know del boy is yeah you know he's got a big heart but yeah he he definitely wouldn't sell his own grandmother del boy no look at you know the way he he lived with his grandfather and then his uncle yeah. Albert, doesn't he? And he's oh, Del Boy is just one of the best characters I think in yeah. sitcom ever. Actually, I think he's my favourite. Because we, in our warm up to this, we were talking about John Sullivan, who is my favourite, you know, sitcom writer ever. He's done Only Fools and Horses. The undiscovered classic genius of Dear John. There was only two series of which is criminal. I remember the theme tune to that. I'm not going to sing it because I'm going to get sued. Um, the best comedic character ever is Kirk St. Moritz um, in Dear John. Find it out if you have not seen it. My two listener. Um, and he did other ones, but I think Only Fools and Horses and Dear John are my favourite of his um, did you ever watch Rock and Chips yes I did I did and I really enjoyed that and it was a shame that that sort of story because he sadly died quite suddenly I believe and it was a shame that, that that story never got finished because it wasn't so much sitcom but it was it did have the heart that John Sullivan injects into everything that he writes which is obviously a reflection of the man mm. um but what he always does, I think, really skillfully, is that sense of people being trapped in their own destinies, which is something that Stan definitely has in On the Buzzes, yeah. and Delboy definitely has, which is that your security net is your family, and it's the reason for... When you haven't necessarily got the opportunity to become a millionaire, which is Delboy's ambition, your real structure, I think, and going back to Tony's point about families, is your family. It's the reason you're doing anything. Delboy, he has his glamorous look and Stan, you know, is uh, has his ambitions. But really what they do is for their family because Stan always, you know, doesn't ever say to... He says frequently to Arthur, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. This is your wife. You pay, you know, you know should be, you know letting me loose so I can live my life or you should be taking care of them yeah. um, but he always comes up 
good he gets Olive the jobs, he gets the bike fixed, he does all these things, and it's he's as trapped by his circumstances, all the rest of them, in that he has the capacity to go off. He can just get up and leave, but he doesn't. No. And just he, think- d- he does in the end, but um, it was a break from really who I think Stan was. They had to do it because um, Reg Varney wanted to leave mm-hmm. he didn't want to do it anymore so they had to write that but if they'd kept Stan true to his character Stan would not I don't believe he would have left his mum because mm-hmm. you know then they have to take in lodgers and although they do take in lodgers all the way through um, which pe- I don't know if people do that anymore that seemed to be a bit of because um, that's how Arthur had met Olive they, he was their mm-hmm. lodger but yeah, they take in several lodges and he, in the end they have because Stan leaves to go and work in... Does he go and work in Liverpool? I can't remember, but... Mm. Um, they have to take Blakey in, which obviously was for, mm. you know, reasons of narrative other than what was most likely. I don't think he would have ever wanted to have lived with them too, mm. even though he had his own house that his mum lived in, so mm-hmm. I don't know why he needed to be a lodger. But yeah... I, I think it's beautifully written. Most people think that no one a big on the buses fan just think it's a load of rubbish. And I think it's not. It's absolutely brilliant. It is. It's a, a really great sitcom, wherever, whoever the class is in it. It has heart, it has character, and it has humour. You can't have a sitcom without humour, and you can't have humour without human frailty in it. Mm. And common sense, this was something that I was intrigued because um, Clive James, um, a great writer, sadly died recently. And a quote that I've seen that he's been giving, I've seen it a lot on Twitter, is um, you can't have a sense of humour without common sense. And I think a lot of working class sitcoms have common sense all the way through, right from the beginning to the end, Mm. because they have the real realities of life, the basic core issues of heat, clothing, feeding yourself. They don't have time for anything else. They don't sit there and have philosophical debates about the meaning of life or or at least they come out with a very particular sophisticated quote where it reveals that they do understand the meaning of life but it's through living it rather than thinking about it. Yeah. Um, you do see glimmers of that in um, Open All Hours because um, right. All he cares about is that shop and what's Nurse Gladys Emanuel, is that her name? Mm, the yeah. woman over the road. And he's that that is everything to him, not by necessity. He loves it. He loves penny pinching. He mm. loves getting, you know, every last penny out of everyone that comes into the shop. He's happy as Larry, but Granville hates it he does not want to be there he's almost he's the one who's trapped by the circumstances he's trapped by his family he can't get away and he often has these um moments where he's saying things quite philosophical things about life and um what he could be or what what the other beautiful people are doing and he it's almost like He's looking in on the working class almost. It's really difficult to describe. I don't know if anyone's watched much Open All Hours. 
have done years ago. But it's so funny. Who wrote that? I'm not... Did um, actually Ronnie Barker write that? No, I don't think he did. Oh, it's on the tip of... You'll have to look it up. Google it. <laughs> Open all hours who wrote... Um, or are you going to... Tony's going to Google it. But something just struck me when we... You know, um, thinking about Steptoe and Son, that's another magnificent... Oh, yeah, I love that. He is definitely trapped by his family in his circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got Steptoe and Son, we've got Only Fools and Horses, we've got... Uh, open all hours we've got on the buzzes um they're all single men the central character are all single men that desire women generally (laughs) to have a sex life or to have their own families um there isn't really any single women there isn't a you know i think probably the live birds was probably one of the first if not their first where it was the central character of two young women Mm. Um, but it seems to be that the working class sitcom is dominated by the single person, specifically single men, and not about a married couple, working class couple. I don't. Can you think of a sitcom where it's working I, class I, couple? I think probably Benidorm, which is a more modern sitcom, is because what we're actually talking about is old sitcoms here. Mm-hmm. They, as you said at the beginning, that's a reflection of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Benidorm has got working class families if you like and then the odd holiday maker so there's two girls for example who are on holiday presumably working class Um, in fact I'd say that they were and then the royal family that's Mm. about a family it's Mm -hmm. not there is no main character is there really unless you see it as Caroline Ahern but Mm. or Denise but I don't think you could so yeah. So why do you think there isn't really the modern working class sitcom that has you know that's not at least twenty years old? Apart from Benidorm, maybe you you know the the sitcoms we've discussed are all in the seventies and there's a cluster of them. Some of them ran into the eighties, but what are the sitcoms nowadays then? I mean, I don't watch a lot of telly anymore, so I don't Mrs. Know. Brown's Boys. Yeah. That could be seen as a working class, Irish working class um, family. Uh, uh, Mr Khan, um, Citizen Khan, is it? Mm. That could be seen as a working class sitcom. Um, I've never seen it's all right. I haven't watched a lot of a lot of it, um, but that's more reflective of my TV habits now rather than the quality of of it. But and Benidorm, I don't know that Channel Four really has one. What about Gavin and Stacey? It's not really a sitcom, is it? No, because they definitely change. Things happen and they change as people. Yeah, that's more. Yeah, that's not really comedy a sitcom, drama. But, yeah, but it's. I guess you would. Well, Stacey's definitely working class. I don't know if the Shipmans see themselves as middle class or not. I don't really know. I find the middle class really hard to define. Mm. There's something as well that just struck me before we move on to the final question. Um, But something that struck me is that we talked a lot about working class, obviously. Talked a bit about middle class, which I think actually is becoming much more of a dominant culture as a force within modern British um, culture, TV and music and so on. There are no, not even positive or negative um, representations of the upper class as a, as a modern class at all anymore. If you see anything on TV or in film about the upper classes, 
it's always set in the past. You've got Downton Abbey, you've got a multitude of films like uh, The King's Speech and um, going further back in time, upstairs and downstairs. They're all set in the distant past. You never see anything about how the Lord of something or other or the Earl of that lives now in uh, 2019. There's just nothing about how the landed gentry, for mm. want of a better description, there's just no representation of them at all, never mind whether it's positive or negative, it's all about what their great-grandparents got up to. The only, I guess the only exception to that is the Queen, mm. which um, is gradually coming up to present mm. day. Do you mean the Crown? The, the crown, crown, sorry, yeah, beg your pardon. And stuff about yeah. Princess Diana. But anyway, right, because we're coming to the end of our energy, <laughs> I ha- I thought this could be a final question um, that we go on, because we're actually, all three of us are writers in one form or another, whether we get to do it in our spare time or we try and do more with it. Um, but if you could write a working class sitcom set now, have you any ideas, what would it be? Have you ever thought about it? And if not, why not? I think if I was to do a sitcom based on anybody close to working class, it would be a podcast about um, an occult. Oh my God, what a fabulous idea. Waiting soon, Tony <laughs> and I are writing together a podcast about two ghost hunters. And we're in the final stages before we record it. But do not um, panic. You will hear all about it. The Birmingham Occult Group podcast. Um, but they're not working class either. Well, why not? They are. Tony thought it'd be funny that um, Tony's an ex-copper and I'm a cardiovascular surgeon for reasons I wasn't sure, but I agree to. But I've always seen them as working class figures that have done quite well for themselves and booked the trend. But to be honest, I would absolutely cut out the references to the police and the surgeon to present two positive working class figures. But the reality is they're not positive working class figures. I think, so, I think a lot of working class people go into the police. Yeah. I don't think the that... Uni- I don't think I think that a... is almost a working class thing that you can do, yeah. isn't it? No, but a serious answer to your question. Yeah. What would I write about in working class? It comes back to family again. It's, yeah. it's the dysfunctional family and the family that's trying to break out of. There's got to be some unattainable goal. But I mean, does it always respects, have to be to leave the working classes? Not necessarily, because if you look at uh, Red Dwarf, that's that's working class because the main character was at a fairly menial job and he's the last survivor. Yeah. And the people who are around him evolve from a cat and um, the hologram of someone who annoyed Dave Lister just to keep him sane. Yeah. Um, So now that in that one, it's trying to get back to Earth. Um, after humanity has died out, I think there's got to be some unattainable goal. In, well, so, sometimes in working class life, the goal is just to keep your head above water, isn't it? It it doesn't have to be a big goal. Like, and on the buses, that's all they want, more or less, on each episode is to get laid or <laughs> to find enough money to pay the milkman so they don't have to hide under the table at breakfast. It, they don't have to be big. No, they don't have to be big goals, but I think there has to be something that you're you're working against. Yeah. I'm trying to think 
the ambulance is springing to mind is men behaving badly, but I don't know if I'd call that a work, that work no, class they're not, comedy. No, no, they're middle class. Lower middle class. <laughs> um, so now I think there's got to be something that people are working, either working against or working towards. What do you think is the most quintessential working class job? Now? Yeah. Bin man. No. Yeah. I think actually a lot of people have lost track of what a working class job is and are in denial that they're working one. Because so I think Cherry's right in the, in the sense that you can actually have quite a complicated, well-paid job, but it's the fact that it's in that role like engineer. But... Shop, uh, working in like a shop, a supermarket, working on the tills in a supermarket, definitely. It's going to be a job where you're working at the lower end of the economic scale. You're working for the minimum wage, definitely. So you could be working behind a bar, working as a waitress. Um, I worked for a long time as a library assistant. That is definitely a working class job because I was not in a managerial role. I was serving on a counter. But if you talk to people, they thought it was very much a middle-class job. It wasn't. Um, certainly wasn't paid middle-class wages at all. Um, so it's actually one, I think, definitely the public services, when you're underneath management, you know, you're not actually managing property or, you know. It's a job where you don't go to meetings as well. I think that's it. It's where you're told what to do yeah. rather than telling someone else who, you know, or, can tell the apprentice but it's a manual it's a manual labor job it's a one way you use your hands it's one way you're a gas fitter or an electrician it's one where you are a plumber you offer your services your physical services in trade that's that's what you have to sell in the job marketplace is your graft so you could be a gardener you could be a tree feller somebody who fells trees um a tree surgeon, I suppose, is a posher term. But you do a job that other people are not necessarily happy about having to pay for, say, plastering walls, cleaning chimneys, all those kind of jobs. That's how I think of working-class jobs. And, again, I think a lot of people are in denial that they're actually working-class. I think a lot of people define themselves as middle-class and they're not. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think you're right. So I would place my sitcom in any of those things. But I think what struck me as we're discussing that is you have to have something to escape. And working class that we've defined so far is that you either try and escape being working class or you escape poverty. And actually everything else is fine. It's just wanting a bit of adult independence. Hmm. But anyway, Terry, what would you do? Have you got any ideas? What do you think you would... I don't know. I think if I could think of a really... A good example of working class, a working class job or environment. I'd have a go at writing a sitcom, although I, I, I don't think I could write a comedy. I think Tony could write a comedy, but I certainly couldn't. Impossible. I can't even write one joke, let alone a joke every three minutes or whatever. No, is it every thirty seconds in a sitcom? There has to be a joke. I mm. think that's the American ideal. There's probably one every 30 seconds in Only Fools and Horses. They're just joke after joke. Yeah, but they're not punchline jokes. They're jokes within character and situation. So there might be a funny line, but what's really making us laugh is the face that's being pulled by yeah. Elboy. The, that's yeah. not like a joke. That's a, a performance decision. And I think sometimes for a good, good comedy, it's a clever setup. 
mm. which pays off much later. And then in between, you get all the little jokes. Yeah. So in Only Fools and Horses, one episode that always sticks with me is the one where uh, Rodney thinks he's sexually assaulted a woman. Oh, yeah. And he hides in the... Mm. Yeah, in the loft. In the, in the water tank room for the yeah. flats. Because everyone's telling him, oh, God, you're going to go to prison. Well, Del Boy is. Del Boy's telling him. <laughs> and then he, he later finds out that this woman basically accuses everybody of yeah. groping mm. her. Because um, she's insane. Yeah. Mm. She's mentally ill. And he, doesn't he spend the day, the, he spends all his time there smoking weed and it's coming through the ventilation mm-hmm. system of the yeah. flats. But that be. is a, the payoff for the setup of the woman he's trying to help I think he's, she, he's trying to help her across the road or something no like. she's waiting for the bus and the bus doesn't stop there anymore it's been uh, the yeah. route's been diverted but and she's completely yeah but it pays off you think of a non-swear word word for he, being he, he's been pissing in the water tank or something hasn't yeah. He? yeah and so it, 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 the payoff is much later for that setup mm-hmm. but throughout you got all the little jokes yeah, I'm not sure. And I could the do pathos it. of in missing Rodney and Yeah. And there's a great episode in Only Fools and Horses which actually doesn't have a vast amount of jokes or humour in it and the payoff is right at the end. And that's the episode where they get this rich aristocratic family in their stately home and to let them clean their chandeliers. Oh, that is genius. But when you actually watch it <laughs> you think it's a much funnier episode than it is but actually when you watch it when I watched it fairly recently I was surprised that actually it was a fairly boring episode and I was just waiting for the end for the punchline which I knew was going to be funny I think you can write jokes because everybody's got a sense of humour so you have to just do things but good humour is rooted in people and situations rather than in a line to be honest a lot of the jokes in Only Fools and Horses is laughing at Del Boy not laughing Mm. with him laughing at the fact that he's bought a file of facts or laughing mm. at the fact that he says he wants a Rolex mm. watch bonnet de douche yeah mm. and it and what you're actually laughing at is a working class man who is trying to appear to be something else and that's what you're la- you're laughing at Del Boy for his, his lack of self-awareness Mm. He's getting the the French phrases wrong, and it's the the file of facts, and it's trigger always calling Rodney Dave. Yeah. Why do you call him Dave? I don't know. What's your name in it, Dave? No. What is your name then, Rodney? What is Dave your nickname? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, I love him. It's brilliant. It's just because it's very carefully put together people that are just not quite normal for a generalised phrase is they're not quite right and that's where they hear but they're they are weirdly authentic you know the phrase where Delboy's saying you know I'm a man on the move I'm because he's an he's a typical Thatcherite he's Delboy he wants to be a million he wants to be rich yep. and he's saying there I am walking down the road with um, my file of facts in one hand and my pot noodle on the in the other you know oh which is just so, it's just perfect I think I think actually these questions revealed that it's quite difficult to pin down what a modern working class sitcom would be. And I think that's because this sense of what does it, you know, it's actually quite a varied place to be working class, whether you're, um, 
you know, traditional, you know, working the traditional sort of um, what would have been a mining town or something or, you know, a working class estate or whatever. It doesn't matter. I think it's quite different and all our experiences um, are different. But I think once you have those core values of family, necessity for money and a desire to improve your life, you've got a working class sitcom. So I would create one where you have those three factor so I would perhaps draw upon a theme that has been done before and I would choose something like an evening class or a class where they're working towards something mind your language yeah something like that where the ambition is to but I think because I'd want to read it in family um, I could equally do it about just being a brummy family trying to get the council to fix the boiler and getting the council to actually come and do repairs and, mm. you know, do all these things. Um, it's impossible. I think it was easier to write a working class comedy in the 70s. I yeah. think that is and definitely true. Because as you say, no one seems to want to admit to being working class anymore. Decimation of the uh, manufacturing infrastructure. Yeah. Mm. If you write about people in poverty these days... You're talking about people using food banks, which is a hard sell for comedy. Well, there you go. You could do it. You could have a comedy called The Food Bank and about the staff who work there and the people that come in. Yeah. Um, although, you know, that would probably be a better drama, to be honest, but because it's... If people are going, going into a food bank, they're already desperate, aren't they? Yeah. But doesn't that sort of... This is one of the things that really... I don't want to swear, but really, really, really annoys me about the way the working class is portrayed is that the working class um, in culture now is the Ken Loach film about somebody fighting against a system that is oppressing them. Well, let's Whereas, face it, the working class under the last... Tor- well, this Tory government has been oppressed worse mm-hmm. probably than... Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it's just unsustainable to live. But equally, there's no way to better yourself economically. Like I say, I got a degree. It didn't help me. It didn't help me get a pay rise. It didn't help, you know, maybe I got a rubbish degree. But I got the degree I wanted and I learned about the things I wanted to learn about. Um, I think it's harder to better yourself as a working class person now. I think as a, if you're working class and you want to improve yourself, start your own business. Just use the skills you've got and just stay out of the mainstream system and fight for it in, in that aspect. But I think it's, the working class is changing and I think in a few years it'll be a lot more solid about what it means to be working class. But um, I'm just hopeful that there's a more positive working class image that's ready to be let loose on the world. Maybe we'll write it, maybe some of you listening will write it. That doesn't involve people dying of heart attacks whilst they're waiting for their trial to come through. And that they're not, they're trapped in the gig economy trying to, you know, and it's not a syrupy drama or it's not a hard-hitting kitchen sink drama. They have their place, but we really need more on the buzzes, only fours and horses, open all hours, and so on. So I'm going to finish here. So does anybody want to say any further things before I finish up? No. Thank you very much, both of you. One last thing. There is one thing. Roy Clark. Oh, Roy Clark. Open all hours okay. and still open all hours. Yes, and oh, so it's still going. Was yeah. it Roy Clark that did Last of the Summer Wine? Yes. Well done, Roy. Well done, Roy. You're a ledge. 90 years old, nearly, and he's still going. 
Under Facebook, in class. Boston. Well, <laughs> he could be because um, last of the summer wine, he's really about retired working class men from Yorkshire. Mm. They don't mm. live in a city, but they certainly are poor. <laughs> right then. So uh, thank you very much for both of you. Thank you to all of you for listening. And please come back next time for my next episode. I believe if everything goes on track, I shall be talking with a lovely lady called Maureen. <laughs>